God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God we look to is just a few verses written in that intimate letter that, that John writes, chapter 2. And he talks about the world here. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The story is, is almost like a perfect vision or a perfect plot for a Hallmark movie. You have this father who just was rich beyond and provides everything that's needed for his beloved. There, this young couple has all that they need. There's not a care or a worry in the world. It's all for them to enjoy, and there they go in all of this that was provided, and, and it was just theirs. There was only one thing, one thing that they weren't to do, and that became the one thing that they wanted to do. The father said no, but the, the woman and, and, and his husband, they, they looked and they sought after something that they should not have. They were tempted, though, tempted. The temptation came that they would seek something that wasn't to be theirs, knowledge that wasn't theirs to have. They needed to trust the father who gives everything, <laughs> but instead they looked, they lusted, they wanted, and all it took was just a temptation, just a twist of the truth, a movement of the heart from everything that they had, all that they needed, everything was complete and pure and true to just one more thing that's all I need in this world that gave them everything except one thing, and then it was just a piece of fruit. She ate, and he saw her eat, and instead of saying or doing the right thing, he followed her lead, and everything just came apart. The father came, re-entered the scene, wondering, why, what, what have you done? It was the blame game back and forth. You know the story, right? This is the beginning of the Bible. This is early chapters. This is how it all came to be. And then the woman pondered to the man, who left his role and allowed her to lead, and the woman who, who took and gave to him, and he followed, and now there would be the battle of the wills, there would be pain and suffering, and this one thing that loomed was this word that came out, death. And she and he together had to ponder this now outside of all that they had that was perfect. What, what does it mean that, that things die? They, they hadn't experienced it, but they were about to. It didn't even take a generation of jealousy to lead to murder. And, and this is how it begins. This is what the world is. And now we fast forward to today. Have we learned from the narrative written in the Word? God preserved it for a purpose because he knows that history is a good thing. And you can't sterilize it. It needs to be spoken in the way that it happens so that we can learn and see that the world is not good the way it is now. And how many centuries later, as you read, you see the same things repeating themselves. And a question needs to be asked, and maybe it was asked by that first man and woman now out of the garden, where am I going now? That's a deep question, right? In life, because you're given just the breath in your lungs for a certain number of years, and you have to ponder that question because now death that started then reigns today, and it comes on to us, and we have to face it too as much as we try so hard to stay young, 
to look young, to keep death at a distance. It looms, it creeps, and it comes in. And so God gets at these words. The Holy Spirit gets at these words. The world pretends to be it, to be life. This is what we know. This is what we experience. This is all there is because the perfect truth of God was lost and when we look to the world, it cannot be found. And so Jesus comes and tells us through the Holy Spirit, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is, is not in them because the world is really death in disguise. That, that's a pretty twisted narrative, right? You thought this was going to be the plot of a, of a Hallmark movie, right? But that's the way it always is, right? There is this terrible thing that happens in the middle and everything starts to fall apart. But we're given further direction in, in the word here of what not to do, how to prevent us from being so short-sighted as to think that this life, this world, is all there is. And it says... For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world only knows the world. And, and the world can only speak so far unless the Father reveals himself. That perfect knowledge that, that the first man and woman had was lost. And over the centuries and over the years, that knowledge became weakened by sin and pursuits that were not of God. If you don't trust me, read the Bible. You'll see it. It's, it's, it's all there. History preserved so that we might learn. But the same problems keep resurfacing. And the same issues are issues we face today in this world. And, and let me ask you this. What question do you ask most as you pursue life? As to the stages and as you face challenges, is the question before you, where am I, where am I going, the biggest question you ask? It, it so often isn't, if you're honest. We're more immediate. We're more, more knee-jerk, right? We want to know what's going to happen to me today. Maybe with all that's around us, we see the masks, we see the sanitation stations. We wonder, the bigger question is, what's going to happen to me? Will my health be preserved? Will I avoid COVID? Will we have another hit of this disease that is going to cause another shutdown? Will we have the problems economically? Will we, can I, how will I, what will I do? What's going to happen to me? These are the questions that we ask most, right? The questions aren't evil. They're real because we face issues. But it's not the deep, nagging question we need to ask. And maybe there are other questions on your mind. Maybe things like big life questions. What am I going to be when I grow up? Will I even be in a safe world when I grow up? What's going to happen if the market doesn't recover? And I'm no longer working. What, what's going to happen when I actually get to go back to the doctor after how many months of, of not being able to go and, and the news isn't good? You see how many questions that we ask that really hint towards the bigger question of what the world brings. The world does not bring these answers. And so God says, don't let the world intrude into your life, into your heart, and bring you only as far as the world and what it reveals. He says, first... The lust of the flesh, that's a big thing in our life, too. We try as Christians 
to anesthetize ourselves to these things. We'd like to blame Hollywood, right? We'd like to say it's the filth that they produce and the movies, the movies that they produce and it's the music industry, the stuff that's out there. It is just heinous. And the publications that are all around us. We'd like to say that these are the wrong things and, and they are the wrong people, but does that influence creep into our lives? God says if you crowd your life with the things that are of this world, with the secret pursuits of the heart, you push God out. And I'd like to blame other people for the way that I think and, and how I act and the thoughts that dance around in my mind and the temptations that sometimes I pursue. I'd like to blame God, right, is what we say. I'd like to, to blame the world because the world tempts me. But God sees it differently. God says, don't do it, and then we do. Who, who's to blame then? The only reason the world can produce these things is because the world consumes these things. Am I just in the world or I am of the world? That's a question we have to ask. And then he says the next thing, the lust of the eyes. These things around us that we pursue, how much can I have? How much can I get for myself? How much can I obtain? How much can I amass? And in our minds, we anesthetize these things. We like to say, I can make these pure because I'm just trying to provide for myself a healthy living because I don't want to depend on other people. And it's not wrong if I've been given the talents to do these things. And I'm providing for my family, so it's okay. But do we go a little too far? Does our time take time to make sure God is number one? Or does our time get consumed by the things that bring us temporary pleasure? Would we have a harder time not being able to come to worship or not being able to take that planned vacation? Do we get more wrapped up in whether or not the sports teams will actually be able to perform this year or if we're going to have a normal worship life and, and opportunities to gather together and, and study, there are things out there that, that tempt us, and, and they are real. And the world says, these are the things that life is about. These are the things you need to have. These are the things that are worthy of, of your time and attention and treasures. And to have these things mean you have life. It's, it's the American dream. It's, it's the way... And we see people that have these things that are discontent and so lonely. Do we not learn from that? And yet our mind wants to have these things. Our eyes see things and, and it becomes lust. Does God get pushed into second place so often as these become the things that we pursue? And, and yet he goes on to say, and the pride of life. I'd like to say that I'm the humblest person I know, but that would be the height of arrogance, right? To claim that you are humble, but I think sometimes we do walk around in real humility because God calls us to live in contentment, but there is this thing that goes back to the first sin. It's this word, I, me, my, 
And whenever we think outside of what God says to think of him and neighbor, whenever we say you or your, it's accusation of why you need to do something for me or you need to act in some way for me or you need to level the playing field so I can have what you have and it's the I, me, and my language that tempts us and it's there. Just think of how impatient we get when we have to wait. Think of how selfish we've become when life says these are the new procedures and it's an inconvenience and we are annoyed. Because it's about me. The, the riots and the inequality and the things that are truly a symptom of things gone wrong in society. But there's also this selfish pursuit of me above others. And the promise and the proclamation by all these people that can make changes and do these things, these bold things that pump themselves up, look what I've done, look what I've achieved, be like me. The world courts us. Do we listen? Do we follow? Jesus gives us these words, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is worldly wisdom. It's around us. It's in us. And I ask the big question again, where am I going? Maybe I'll ask it a different way. What do I deserve? If the first sin meant death to the world, that the world was now separated from God, don't continued sins mean the same thing? Each time that a sin is committed, it's an abuse against a perfect father, and he must carry out the righteous judgment. What do I deserve? Maybe a deeper question I'll ask as we talk about relationship to, to God. Can God love me? That's a big question, right, as we look in the mirror. Can God love me? He says to hate the world because it gets in the way of him. He says to not pursue these things, and I do. Can God love me? And if he doesn't, where am I going? What's going to happen to me when this death that's creeping in hits me? And then I'd like to share with you just, just that simple passage that was recited actually on Confirmation Day. This one you already know. I'm sure it's that simple passage about loving the world. It's, it's like this paradox where God says, don't love the world. And then God in the same breath says, I love the world. John 3, 16, I so love this world, not the sinful things, not the things that lead to death, not the temptations, not the things gone wrong, not the death that this stuff brings, but I love the world. The people I created in my image, I so love them that I could ima not imagine being apart from them, but I'm going to have to do the messy work of solving the problem this world cannot fix. There is a big hole in every single heart that is born. It's a God-sized hole. It's his image that is lost, and it can only be filled with God. It cannot be filled with immoral things. It cannot be filled with earthly things. It cannot be filled with boastful things. It can only be filled by the one thing that God did. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that's not just the plot of a Hallmark movie. Jesus came and did what the world could no longer do. 
Jesus came and did what man and woman can no longer do. He ignored the things that tempt us, that lead us astray. He did not ever lust for flesh. He did not have the lust of the eyes. He did not have the pride of life. He never built himself up. He came to live under the Father's will, to follow it perfectly, but then he had to face the real question that daunts us all. Where am I going? Jesus had to had to be the answer to that question and it came on a cross and he had to wrestle with that being true human flesh he didn't want to face this thing called death because it would hurt emotionally and it would hurt physically look at what happened but even deeper spiritually he knew the answer where am i going it's to hell and that's where jesus went so that he could answer with not a continued punishment of death, but give this world something it did not deserve, life. We know it. He proved it. He showed that death had its undoing. He pounded it to death on a cross. He left the tomb vacant, came back and showed what life actually is. And he didn't come back to give us stuff. He didn't come back to make sure that the lust of our eyes would be fulfilled. He didn't come back so that we could pat ourselves on the pack back. He came to give us peace and hope and, and a purpose and a future. And he calls these things all strung together life that lasts. You know how that passage goes that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's different than the world can give, right? That's the world eternal and it doesn't end in death but, but life. That's what God gives to you. He, he talks about it here. He says, the world and its desires, they pass away. That's the reality. Don't cling to things that pass away. It's like making a bad investment and throwing more money into it. That's just dumb. Don't. But then he says, but whatever or whoever does, the will of God lives forever. Do you see the contrast to that? The world brings perishing, but those who do the will of God live forever. And we often think, okay, here I must have to do something. What is the will of God? It isn't the Ten Commandments, though those are the things God gives us to guide and guard us in life. The will of God is to believe. To believe in Jesus. To run to Jesus. This is the one possession that is yours that makes life worth living. This is the one possession that you have that fills that huge God hole in your heart and makes it full. This is the one possession that you have that changes your heart to, to love and forgive as God has first loved and forgiven you. This is the one thing that allows charity and, and, allow, and allows purpose in life. This is the one thing that guarantees you forever and it's yours. Simply believe in him and you will live. There is a happy ending to the, to the story of, of Adam and Eve. God alludes to it in Scripture. He, he gave the promise to them, and by believing in that promise, God said, you wouldn't just perpetuate and live in death forever. I will give you life. And they experienced earthly death, but not the eternal death deserved. They wait for that day. And Jesus has promised that day. They did not have the Old Testament. They had to trust in the promises of God. We have the New Testament and the pictures that Jesus gives of what life is like. He says this old order of stuff, this all that we know stuff, it, it, he's going to just erase that, destroy it so that we can have 
what God always intended, life to the full. It will be perfect, and it will last, and it will be forever. So understand the role of the world. This is where we live to do the Father's will, right? This is where we live for the time to follow his plan and his purpose. And his purpose for you that connects you to eternity is simply this. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will have everlasting life. Amen.